Welcome to Church 213. We pray that the message today is a clear picture of who Christ wants to be in your life. We trust God for a miracle in the next few minutes. Thanks for listening. You know, I was thinking about moms. Motherhood is, is really the great paradox of life. Think about this. You know your mom when you're up each night till 11, wiping, washing, drying, loading, unloading, shopping, making lunches, driving, sweeping, picking up, changing stuff, bathing people, helping people with homework, paying bills, budgeting, brushing, chasing, buckling, pushing trucks, playing ball, dressing dolls, coloring, crafting, sliding, painting, praying, reading, walking, and feeding the animals. You get up at 6 o'clock in the morning, you're on the move, you have no time to eat or to sleep or to drink, and you still manage to gain 10 pounds. How does that happen? How does that happen? It's the great paradox of life, but you know... Um, Womanhood really is the extreme sport of life. So for all the ladies, thank you. Thank you for doing what you do for the gospel. So we're digging in. We're week five in our series. I spy with what? My little eye. I spy with my little eye. And we're going to continue digging in to the nature of God and why that matters. So hopefully you, uh, you picked up a sermon guide when you came in because we're going to be taking some notes, kind of help you write some things down so that you can think about it and, uh, and marinate on it this week. J.I. Packard said, Disregard the study of God, and you sentence yourself to stumble and to blunder through life blindfolded, as it were like, like, like you had no sense of direction and understanding of what surrounds you. This way, you can waste your life, and you can lose your soul. A lot surrounds the topic of the nature of God. And so the reason that the question for me and for my family and for you and for your family and this church family always has to be, who is God? If you're with me, say I am. That, that's, that's, that's it. I've said it every week. Week one, talked about God is powerful. He is all that and bag of chips. Then we talked about God is everlasting, been there, done that. God is all-knowing. He is the know-it-all. And God is good from last week. Good to the last what? Drop. Now, the characteristics of the nature of God, um, they aren't pieces of God. I saw a formula that was pretty clever this week, kind of sums this up. It was this. Assumption Plus gossip equals unnecessary drama. Amen? And when we go through life unsure about, um, about the facts of God and what the facts of God actually are, we try to fill in those gaps ourselves with what we feel and, uh, and what we think. And that type of God gossip will get you in a mess. Write this down. This is on your notes, if, if you would. It's the same thing that we've started off with every week for the last five weeks. The best prediction of a person's future is what their heart conceives God to be like. You want to judge where you're going? Find out where a person is in their relationship with who God is in their life. Surrender is not comparable to obedience. Sacrifice, 
doesn't compare to obedience. That's what the scripture says. Being obedient every day is far better than anything you can outside bring and, and give to the Lord. It's not a show. It's not a label. It's a lifestyle. And so because of this, because to, to, to really know him is to really love him. And to really love him is to humbly worship him. So it all hinges, it all hinges on who he is in your life. And so as it would be, as God would have it on Mother's Day 2021, I want us to look at another permanent, not a piece of who God is, but the essence of who he is. On Mother's Day, talking about the love of God. Gotta love it. Right? Gotta love it. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. If you're willing and able, not too sore from softball yesterday if you played, stand with us. Not going to call any names. Cliff, Roberts. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. I spy with my little eye. The nature of God. God is love. Got to love it. Now typically, you find yourself in this scripture around Christmas. But I'm going to tell you, the scripture, they apply every day of the year. There's truth there. And so I want to dig into this. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. The word of God says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth. To a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph, the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. She was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. And then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have, you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son. And you will name him Jesus. He will be great. And we call the, the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him a throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. Hallelujah. And Mary asked the angel, how can this be? Since I have not had sexual relations with a man. And the angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit. The power of God, his presence will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who was called childless, for nothing will be impossible with God. Verse 38, she said, I'm the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it be done to me according to your word. And then the angel left her. And I pray that God would honor his word. You guys can be seated. I probably would have asked a few more questions, I'm just saying. <laughs> you know, if it were me. But from the way that this mother experienced God, the reason this is important is because the way she experienced the Lord, we see God's love uh, on full display. The way we see her working in her life shows us what the love of God actually is.
Because there's some confusion. There's, con there's some confusion about the word love, isn't it? I'm convinced the word love is the most overrated, underused, confused, undervalued idea that we have in, in America. We just, we, we miss it. The English language stinks at describing the word love. You know, it really does. I mean, in Greek, they had to use three words to try to encapsulate kind of what love is. There was this young teenage boy and girl, and they were sitting on the swing in her parents' front porch, way up the mountains of North Carolina. And they spent a lot of time there just, you know, by themselves, just, just talking. They would talk about all kind of things. They'd talk about, you know, what they were going to do when they grew up. They would talk about you know, what, what they would do. Are they going to go to college together? Are they going to, you know, move and stay local? Are they going to get married? Are they going to start a family? And every Friday evening, it was the same. And when he'd get ready to go, he'd, he'd hold her hand, and he would, uh, he'd, he'd see, he said, I'll see you next Friday, and he'd give her a hug. But this particular Friday night was different. You know, he, he, was, he was a little bolder in his love. He, he, he knew that that love was a little deeper and so he hugged her, and he, and he said at the bottom of the porch, he said, you know the love that I have for you. And he leaned in, and he, he gave her a kiss. She's like, oh, this is new. He said, you know I love you. I mean, I would fight the biggest man for you. I would swim the, the deepest ocean for you. I'd climb the highest mountain for you because I love you so much. And he, as he gets in his car, he's like, I'll see you next Friday unless it's raining. I knew that would fall flat. It did. I tried it out on Emma, and she's like, that's not funny. The point is, people are easy to say I love you, but it really has no value. You know what I'm saying? I love you. I will see, I'll do all of this for you. I'll see you next Friday, and, you know, unless it's raining. I'll see you next Sunday at worship, unless a better option comes along. And so, love... You know it's true. It's been lost in translation. You know, man, we just throw that word out. It's with the same word that we say we love God and we love Taco Tuesday. What's the deal? You know, it's with the same word that we say our dogs love bacon treats and for, for God so love the world. Right? And we just throw that word out there. There's an issue. There's a break in the line. And so as Jesus followers, what I want us to do this morning is get to the root. Get to the root of what God really says his love is so we can rightly apply it to our life. We see it. We see, we see Mary showing us that in a beautiful way. So here's three ways that I think Mary in Luke chapter 1 unpacks for us what is the love of God in a, in a nation and in a language that has just, just misses the mark. I love you. I would die for you. Oh, I love a cheeseburger. What's doesn't work like that. It carries weight. It's got to mean so much more. So the first thing on your notes is this. Love is found. How are we defining this? Love is found in open arms. Love is found in open arms. Let's look at verse 26 and uh, 26 through 28. It says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was 
sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David, as was promised in the Old Testament. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. So what we see right there is an open arm. When the Bible shows us the goodness of God, what we see it as is a generous act that's exercised through love when God is involved in our lives. That's what grace is. Grace is when God moves on our behalf. And we take it for granted. The fact that we have life right now in this moment is nothing but the grace of God who has moved on our behalf mortal bodies so we can have an experience with him they're, they're open arm. The, the apostle John explains in 1 John what is meant by God is love says this 1 John 4 says dear friends let us love one another because love is from God and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God so the hinge there is this love concept the one who does not love does not know God because God is love. You've heard that before, right? God is love. But we'll miss it if we don't get the context. When we say that God is love, it, it, it's a fact that describes how God operates, not necessarily who he is. And there's a difference. I'm going to explain it right here. Because if literally God is love, then we would worship the act of love and not God. God is worthy to be worshipped. Amen? Come on, somebody. God is worthy to be worshipped. And if love is equal to God, then God is only equal to love, and God and love would be identical. And here's why that's dangerous. It would be up to personal interpretation. Humanism. Whatever I think is there. This is a bad way to view the love of God, but it's all around us in America in 2021. And we see it when people are spiritual. And what, what that means is, you know, they label themselves in order to worship a feeling or, or an object or a thing, the wind, a tree, a person, nature. You know, I mean, if you, if you let that thought of God go, go down the road anyways you'll end up, uh, you know, worshiping just whatever you want to worship. We see it. There are thousands of false religions, and they all have one thing in common. They worship something other than the living God. In India, there's a Hindu shrine of a motorcycle. I know for us, it's like, that is so ludicrous. Why would we worship a motorcycle? Why do we go to Athens and, and worship a football? I mean, it, you know, if you flip the context, it's just as ludicrous for 90,000 people to pack into a, to a place and yell and scream like their life depends on it. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with cheering for football. I'm saying you've got to check your priorities and not be so fast to cast a stone to some other country that's worshiping a motorcycle when we do things here that is just as crazy. This motorcycle, this shrine has been worshipped. They, they bring incense. They make an altar there. And it's been going on for 30 years. Motorcycle. Love is something true of God 
but it is not God. This is on notes. God's love to us is the expression from that prompting in his affection for us. God's love to us is the expression from that prompting for us. It's the presentation of his goodness is what I'm trying to say. Everything that God does is flows from his goodness. And the way he applies his goodness is through acts of love. That's the reality. That he, that he opens up his love to us at all is a miracle. Y'all, the fact that God would move on our behalf, that's what he did to Mary right here. He opened up his arms to her. He is interested in a personal relationship. And we take it for granted. But we wouldn't in earthly relationships. You know, if a famous person wanted to be friends with you, you would feel honored, right? You would go above and beyond to, to work on that relationship. You would tell people, hey, let me tell you who I know. Nee, 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 nee. You know? I can, I, and as I'm getting older, it happens so often. At least once a week, if I'm out in public, people say, hey, do you know who you, what do they say? Chipper Jones. Yeah, show me the money, baby. I get that so often. We were, uh, we were at a boat show a couple years ago, you know, and I was just looking around because we have no money. But I like to look at things that I know I can't afford. But the people that were selling high-dollar boats don't know that I'm broke, okay? I'm so broke, I can't pay attention. But I'm, as, as I go in there, I can see the salesman talking. They think I'm Chipper Jones. They think I'm loaded. And they're walking to me like, I'm going to make some money. I'm like, no, you're not. Because you're fooled. <laughs> I'm not Chipper Jones. The point is this. How more special is it that the king of creation wants a relationship with you? Who is Chipper Jones? Who cares? Washed up. Like a vapor. You can know Jesus. Good grief. We can have a presence with the living God. That's what's going on right here in Luke. The living God has opened his arms to Mary. And all of the extraordinary ladies in the Bible, and there are so many, Mary stands out as the most blessed because she was the one sovereignly picked by God to be the instrument of the glory of God that will be trumpeted as redemption for all of the world. And can you imagine? Can you imagine all of heaven peering over the, the, the balconies, just, just kind of watching in God's economy as God approached Mary to tell her that, 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 that God the Father was opening his arms to her? It's been said that love is a verb. And that is true. Love is a verb. It's the sticky and the glue. It's how, it's how we show our deepest desires. It's how we ex express the goodness that we have for someone else. It's why you went to the, uh, the card section at the pharmacy or the grocery store this week and you read multiple cards just trying to find the right words. You know, Did anybody just go up like, mother section, gotcha, gotta go. If you did, don't admit to that. But most of us, okay, most of us went through quite a few trying to find that, that, that in, in, intentional 
expression, putting forth the effort so that when the card is open today, more cards will be sent today than any other time of the year. When the card is open today, that the words will express into action what you feel in your core. Love is a verb. It's why Americans will spend $28 billion on Mother's Day this year. Love is a verb and it requires action. It's hard to say you love your job if you never go. Amen? It's hard to say you love Christmas without putting up a Christmas tree. I know that Leslin Abbott loves Christmas because there are dozens. How many, Gordon? That's okay, 25. That, that's, that, there's counseling for that. <laughs> 25 Christmas trees. It's beautiful. Yeah, something to see. Beautiful. So when we're talking about the love of God, what I want you to know is motive is the key. It's, it's the action. Love reaches its highest peak in personal relationship. It's when one person finds joy in giving themselves to another person and then receiving that same sacrifice back. It's reciprocal. It goes back and forth, back and forth. I mean, we have a lot of conversations in our home about love and relationships, you know, challenge the kids. You know, you don't love somebody until you would die for that person. You know, so we try to be very careful with how we use the word love. No, I love Papa John's. I'm like, seriously? Would you die for that cheese pizza? Well, no. But you know, so you really, really like it. For me, I think we need to preserve the word love in order to get the concept. So when our, when our children get to the point that they hear these words from some sixth grade punk at school saying, I love you, they're like, you can't even drive. You don't love me. I got to get back to my notes. All right, John 15. John 15 says this. No one has greater love than this than to lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command you. Do not call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything I have heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. It's an open hand of the father. And what we see right here is that if you're going to love, this is what he commands you. You have to love one another. It's when he opens his arms to us right in the middle of where we are, despite where we are. That's where he found Mary. So what is the love of God? It's found in some open arms. So there's something else too. Love is found in a safe place. Love is found in a safe place. There's so much meat right here in this passage. Look at verse 29. But she was deeply troubled, as she should have been, by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. And he will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give you the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, 
and his kingdom will have no end. And Mary asked the angel, her head spinning, put yourself in, in her situation. It's like, I don't know what kind of greeting this is. You know, it's when you open that mailbox and there's a letter in there from the IRS. You're like, what does this mean? Okay, get your attention. You know, if you hear a knock on the door and you see an officer there, or someone in uniform, if you have a, a serviceman or woman in your family, you know this means something significant. What does this mean? You know there's, there's news coming. So he tells her this, and she asks, How can this be, since I'm a virgin? See, what you need to know is Mary is, uh, is equivalent to the Hebrew name Miriam. And the name, in the context, means Bitter because of trials. Mary's young life, it was, it was probably full of some, some hard stuff because of who she, she, who she was, you know, kind of uh, where she lived, her economic position. It was, it was a real struggle for her. We know that because of where Nazareth is. Life was hard because Nazareth, Nazareth, was this lonely community outpost in one of the poorest districts in Galilee. So, you know, remember when Philip told Nathaniel that he had found the Messiah, the Holy One, the Anointed One? Nathaniel asked him, how can anything good come from Nazareth? Like, you got to be kidding me. I mean, Mary had lived there all of her life in a community where good things probably were very, very rare. If you're with me, say I am. And this was the last place you would expect God to show up. It's like Gainesville, Florida. But see, when God opens up his arms and initiates a move in our life, it's going to be scary. It's going to bring in some fear because trust is required when you move into open arms. Amen? It's there. It's in the midair flight of faith that we always find him waiting to God be the glory. So a question that I want to ask you this morning is this. Do you want God enough to surrender those fears? Do you love God enough to jump? Because it comes down to love, doesn't it? Love is a verb. One of the things I've always done with my kids um, when they were small, not so much now, is I would stand on the outside of the trampoline, probably from, you know, here to the guitar, just far enough that it was really risky. And then I would ask them to jump off the edge of the trampoline and as their daddy into my arms. And I love that because what it was doing, it was building trust. And it was special um, and fun for me because you had a chance to watch all these range of emotions happen in just a moment, right? So, you know, you have this excitement. They're kind of giddy when they're bouncing. As they approach the side, they look all happy. And then that happiness turns to anxiety when they leave the edge and they're in midair. And that anxiety turns to fear in a moment when they realize I am completely out here on my own and unless daddy does something mama's going to be mad and the beautiful part is this all of that fear and all of that anxiety turns back into joy boom 
when they land in my arms. I love it. Parker, you going to do that when we get home? <laughs> but with all three, and it's never failed, they won't even consider jumping off the edge of that trampoline until my arms are opened first. So if I stand there like this, they're not even going to do it. They're not even going to consider it. It's only when I first say like this, I've got you, that they start to move toward the edge. So what I'm saying is, there is, there is love found in that safe place because we have a Father that has opened our arms to us. And so what we can do is all we can do is just leave the side. Is just trust the Father's open arm. The open arm puts everything into motion. That's what faith is about. And that was the case for Mary. Remember, she was very young. She was very poor. She was in Nazareth. She was probably a teenager, betrothed, engaged to Joseph, which was, was the custom. And this was a year-long engagement called a Kedushin. And it meant she was formally bound. It demonstrated fidelity on both parts. It was as good as a marriage covenant. Very close. Not like an engagement today. And the reason that's important is because the act of God opening his arms, yes, hey, yes, it meant that she was going to usher in the Son of God to whom, you know, the Redeemer of the world would come. But that privilege came at a high, I want you all to get it. That privilege came at a high price to her personally. And she knew it. See, she knew that she was going to be carrying the stigma of an unwed pregnancy. Remember now, she's, in, she's poor. She's Jewish. She's in Nazareth. She's engaged. And even though the scripture is very clear that she was pure and she was a virgin, the world would not see it that way, would they? You know, life really hadn't changed that much. I'm not going to see it that way. You're not going to, you know, somebody's got some explaining to do. And she would be labeled, wouldn't she? She knew it. That's why she was perplexed. What kind of greeting is this? How can this be? She's, her, her wheels are spinning. And she knew that she would carry all these things. She'd be labeled. So the question for us again today is, do you love God enough to surrender your own labels around your friends and family? Your friends and family that aren't running the same race that you are. Because your friends and family will put a label on you probably faster than anybody else. Do you love God enough to jump and carry a new label for him do the right thing it's just a hard thing because it's in that midair flight of faith that God opens his arms and holds you church you with me that's the challenge for us I mean can you only imagine when, when Joseph and the parents got the news man their hearts just sunk think about the disappointment all the things they had planned, making plans for this wedding, all the things her daddy had taught her, all the things her mom had challenged her to do, all the love that was fostered in that home, gone in an instant, brokenhearted. 
John has a lot to say about love. So we're going to get back to 1 John chapter 4. It says this. And we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And the one who remains in love remains in God and God remains in him. In this, love is made complete with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear. Why? Because a perfect love is a safe place. It's a safe place in the Father's arms. It's a safe place found in the redemption that Christ paid through way of the cross. Because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. See, if you've put your faith in the all-sufficient atonement and redemption of the blood of Jesus, you have no fear of the future. Which is why you can celebrate in life and of death. To live is Christ. And what we saw last night, to die is gain. People can stand and they can sing and they can proclaim and they can know that while the time on earth is it just breaks your heart, the situations we have to go through, the arms of the Father are wide open because He is working on our behalf. That's what it means. God does not make mistakes. I want you to know that this morning. He doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't do anything to us that is not a loving expression of His goodness. God is good to the last what? drop that's who he is and so when he asks you to jump into his arms I know that that's easy preaching a hard living but what that looks like is when you are in the free fall of faith and you have no idea what's going to happen you're scared and you're anxious and you're emotional and your heart's about to explode you can have confidence that God is loving God is proven through that in the life of his son and he's right there waiting to hold you for all of eternity it's a safe place to jump telling you it's a safe place to jump there's something else about fear fear is that emotion that we feel when we think we're about to be harmed it's self-preservation and you're going to keep feeling scared around that somebody or that something until you know that, that there's somebody there that can calm those fears. That somebody has your best interest in mind. Like I said already, I don't go to haunted houses. I'm not going to pay somebody to scare me. You want to scare me? You're going to pay me. I know that you don't have my well-being in mind. So I'm not going in there to be scared. But the moment comes of, of when that fear is released when when you know that you're under the protection of somebody that loves you, and it's at that moment that fear is cast out. Parents, have you ever had that anxious feeling when um, your kid's lost in town? I remember the way I felt when I would look around and run off with my parents and they weren't there. You know, as a, as a child, you instantly have all this fear that kind of, that, 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 that rolls over you because you see all these strangers around and you see them as enemies because it's unfamiliar, right? If you're with me, say, I am. Okay, you get there. If you don't know what this is like, take your kids out in town today and let them run off, okay? Don't do that. No, I'm kidding. Don't do that. 
But the point is this. All of that fear comes crashing down when the child finds mama again. Maybe you've been in town and you've heard someone saying, Mama, you know, you've heard another child looking for their parents. You can hear that anxious tone. But as soon as they find mom, that's gone because there's, there's, there's no fear in those safe places. That's where fear disappears. This is on your notes right here. A person will stay gripped by fear if they jump through life to things which have no promise to catch them. That's what keeps a person gripped in fear. As long as you put your hands, put your life into the law of averages, that's a scary place to be. As long as you try to be happy by trusting your ability maybe to outthink or outinvest or outmaneuver somebody else, you, ha- you have a good reason to be afraid because there's no eternal security there. The person that just says, I hope that I make it. Man, don't hope that you can make it. The Bible says you can know that you make it. You can be saved. You can be sure. You can, you can hope. You can do more than hope it all turns out okay. You don't have to roll the dice in your life. But to enter that place in the arms of God, it requires you to step out and step into that safe place. It really all comes down to broken surrender. Really, it's where it is. Broken surrender before the Father because God never uses anything that comes to Him put together first. Amen? He, he wants you to come to Him completely bare so He can put you together and remake you and give you a hope that's going to last. That's what the Bible describes as real peace. A peace that passes all understanding. And we saw that here last night. The section of the family, the Whitney. How in the world... Someone battling a brain tumor since 2013 being unrecognizable through treatment there in the last days almost. Still shine with such beauty and family to give such glory and have such peace and have such hope and bring a lightness and a celebration in this room. How does that happen? It's not found in this world, is it? It's only found in the peace of in a safe place in the arms of the Father. Amen? Philippians chapter 4 says this. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Not rejoice in the situation. Not rejoice in the circumstances. But rejoice in the one that has his arms open. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. There's a key there, to guard your hearts when you know where you're jumping. That's what love does. It's a safe place in the arms of the Father. So it says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, you want to have, have a new life, you want to have a... You want to see God work in your life in a powerful way? The Bible says don't be conformed to the ways of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What you feed, 
will grow and what you starve will die. And so the, the apostle is saying, finally, brothers and sisters, if you want to have that peace, if you want to have that, 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 that all-knowing comfort that lasts through any circumstances, do this. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence, if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Get your mind right. If your thinking starts to stinking, get a check up from the neck up. What are you saying? Do what you've learned. You're here every week, most of you. Do what you've learned. Apply it and receive. Do what you've learned and receive and heard from me and seen in me and the peace of God will be with you. That's the recipe with living life for purpose right there. Take your faith serious. Don't let it be a label. Let it be a lifestyle. God wants our love. And he is not going to be satisfied until he gets it. There's a third thing. Where's love found? Well, it's found in open arms. We got that. And those open arms are a very safe place. It's also found in open doors. Love is found in open doors. Look at verse 35. Wrap this up. So in verse 34, she completely lays out, and I don't know if this is a safe place. I see the open arms. I'm afraid. How can this be? Verse 35. The angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you, cover you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age. They didn't have email, tech. They didn't have instant messages and things like that. So she had no idea Elizabeth was even pregnant. So this was news to her. It was comforting to her. She found this safe place and this opportunity. It was, it was proof that God was working. He said, even she has conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who was called childless. For nothing will be impossible with God. What he's saying is, Mary, it's okay. I've already prepared the way ahead of you. I've already been to, I've already, I'm doing miracles. You don't even know. You can trust me. I am the Lord's servant. At that point, that's what she said. I am the Lord's servant. May it be done to me according to your word. And then the angel left. Man, that's pretty bold right there, isn't it? Okay, let's roll. How bold was she as a young woman? Look what she just faced. Like I, like I began with, I would have probably needed some, some more answers. Right? I would have got out my piece. All right. All right. I need, I need the answers to this, 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 and this, and this. Because what you just told me is going to wreck and, 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 and reorient my entire life. This is not what I was expecting. Yes, yeah, she was absolutely stunned. But her response to that is our response today. That's what we can hold on to. The way she responded is the same way we should respond when God does the same thing for us. Was she stunned? Yeah, she's human. Absolutely. Was, was, was it unexpected? Yes. It was absolutely unexpected. 
Was she a virgin? Yes. Yes, this child was, was going to be the, the hypostatic union of the divine nature and, and the human nature perfectly into one person called the Son of God. Yes, absolutely it was. Was she young? Yes. Was she going to be labeled? Church? Yes. Was she going to lose friends? Yes. Was life going to be different? Yes. Here's why. If you go to the New Testament, Jesus clearly said this. The narrow path is the one that leads to eternal life. The wide, narrow road leads to destruction. Here's what I want you to know. The narrow path, it might be narrow on this side of eternity, but it gets real wide. The, net, the, the wide path is wide now. But guess what at death? It gets really narrow. We have to live life looking toward eternity. When God opens his arms to us, proves to us that his love is a safe place, and then opens doors for us to take the leap. Her response is amazing. Yes, she was young, but she took her faith very, very serious. Y'all with me over there, young people? She took it serious. It was not some convenient label religious activity. And her response in the situation reflected that, didn't it? I mean, man, she responded with she responded with such spiritual maturity that we could probably only dream of right there. And this open door reflected that she did not want to waste her life on just looking the part. Yeah, maybe she had Born Square's shirt on. But it wasn't a label. It was real life. You could see it being lived out. She did not want to waste her life just playing the part. I'll close the story. There was... Um, it was this bodybuilder. He was visiting this Amazon African tribe. I guess the Amazon's in South America. He was visiting this Amazon tribe in South America. And he goes up to the he goes up to the, the, the chief and he's got all these muscles. You know, I mean this guy, he had an amazing physique. He was ripped. And so the chief asked the bodybuilders, like, hey, what do you do with all those muscles? He's like, well, it's hard for me to explain what would be better if I just showed you what I did with all these muscles. And the chief's like, all right, well, let me see what you do with those muscles. And so he begins to flex. He begins to show off his muscles. He does the bicep. He does the tricep. He does the, you know, shows him his back, shows him his abs. And, and he just stood there changing poses. You know, he went from the, the front lat spread to the, the front double bicep. Chief's just staring at him while he's standing there flexing. And, and after the presentation, the chief's like, well, that's pretty impressive. But what else do you do with all those muscles? He's like, well, I'm a bodybuilder. I, I, that's pretty much it. I work out so, so that I can pose in the mirror. And the chief looked at all the guys around him that was part of his tribe. And he's like, what a waste hey what a waste and so a challenge for us 
is we have experienced the love of God. He has moved on our behalf. He's standing there with those open arms. He gives us open doors to respond to him. Man, what a waste it would be for us just to go through the motions of life and not ever work out our faith for his good purposes. I don't want this, I don't want this house of, of believers just to be a bunch of posers. Amen? I don't want the world to see us in here and walking out there and go, what a waste of your time on Sunday morning. I want you to put your spiritual muscles to work. Let them develop week after week and go out of these open doors and really do something. Don't just carry your Bibles. It's important. Don't just carry them. Don't just stand and don't just sing and don't just clap and don't just absorb the message week after week after week and then go out and just look the part and don't do anything. Man, what a waste of the love of God.